0: Welcome to Sports Performance Radio, the science of athletic excellence. Hi everyone, it's B. Chavez from Evil Genius Sports Performance, and I'd like to welcome you to February 2018's. Team Evil GSB question and answer video. Um, If you're not aware, I try to do these the first Sunday of every month, this being one. Um, And as always, I like to start with a few pre-packaged questions before the viewership picks up, although somebody's chimed in already. Uh, Since you're there already, I would appreciate it if you give me the heads up that audio and video are uh, reasonably effective. Ah... All right. Before the question that I was going to start with, uh, Theodore Basher asks me about metformin for unenhanced people, and the reality is, um, typically, unenhanced people, the action, as it were, growth and and athletic improvements uh, accrue much slower, and therefore, super, you know, hyper carbohydrate, hypercaloric diets are probably not nearly as relevant. Uh, that said, there's absolutely re- no reason why an advanced, highly organized uh, natural athlete would not get uh, benefit out of metformin. I would probably recommend you stay toward the lower dose range, probably the more like the 500 milligram range. <coughs> Again, just because <coughs> the whole idea of metformin is that you're exploiting that hyperability and... Growing at natural or physiologic rates, that probably just isn't going to happen. So, uh, it's absolutely efficacious. It's absolutely something that you could do. Um, I've heard a number of, uh, you know, world renowned, you know, PhD, doctorate caliber people suggesting that metformin is one of those drugs that probably no one wouldn't get some benefit from no matter how gifted you are no matter how average you are no matter how whatever you are um, it like caffeine and a couple of other drugs probably just good for everyone all the time um, it's phenomenally low risk and phenomenally high upside so um, yes I definitely think it's uh, something that you know you, you could could definitely get benefit from Uh, I don't like to promote drug use where none is necessary. But, you know, if you were looking for a small long-term advantage, that would definitely be a small, long-term, very low-risk, very low-cost advantage. So there you are. Uh, Jonas Schwartz, you're telling me that everything is okay. uh, And I very much appreciate that. And ironically, the question I was going to start this off with is yours. Uh, You had asked me, I'll read it here because I have it. On my other screen, uh, Jonah Schwartz asks, um, you speak an awful lot about consistency of signaling to the body. Which approach do you advocate? Uh, timing rapid-acting rapid insulin like Humalog with a fat-free feeding uh, and then continues on, or option B, using a long-acting insulin like Lantus and just timing your daily fat intake consistently throughout the day? Um, the answer is actually I'm right in the middle. Um, before I answer that question, let me say about Lantus. On paper, every damn thing about Lantus looks like it should be exactly the drug we use. It looks like the winner. It looks like that's the answer. And yet in practice, myself and just the enormous amount of people that I communicate with are consistently frustrated, stymied, disappointed, and on and on. Um, just can't make it work the way we want it to. Um, having said that, uh, the rumor has it, and I suspect it's a good deal more than a rumor, that the uh, the great bodybuilder Nasser El, uh, Nasser El-Somebody, was a big fan of and used almost exclusively Lantus. So I don't want to say it's not workable, I'm just saying that in my experience... It never plays out as well on paper as I think it should. Um, My approach has always been our insulin for two, maybe three reasons. One, it's what I was introduced to. It's where I started, and so it's what I became familiar and comfortable with. Two, um, for those of you that don't know, and hopefully it won't get this video censored saying this out loud, but... Um, It's not regulated. You can walk into any pharmacy in the United States and demand a bottle of R-Insulin and they are bound by law to provide it to you. So it's accessible. That makes it many, 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 many tiers higher. You know, it's cheap, it's accessible, and it works. Okay. So the reality is most of my practice, most of my application is R-Insulin. It's long enough to not be short-acting, But it's short enough acting to be controllable and workable. Now, having said that, the Humalog approach is very popular, uh, especially as kind of a pre-intra, post-workout kind of thing. Um, And I can definitely get on board with that, but I typically do that, if I were to do that, with a background of low, slow, R to maybe even three times a day in the background to elevate plasma levels essentially induce hyperinsulinemia which is medically a bad condition but if you're able to exercise and eat to it then then not so much so um the, the 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 answer is uh, on paper. Atlantis looks great. In practice, I can't make it work. I can't make it do what I want. Uh, that definitely does not mean that people should not be trying it, practicing it, learning it. Um, you know, I am not the be all on this. There are definitely uh, you know going to be people you know you know my contemporaries and younger that uh, you know are, are going to do things a different way, but. To answer your question specifically, I just can't make Atlantis work very well. Uh, I stick with R. I think that it's, for all of its upsides, it's the best choice. So that, that's um, how I feel about that. But, Jonas, first of all, I want to thank you for t- logging in and, and interacting so much and asking really good questions. Uh, I wish more people would do that. I wish more people would ask questions in general, and then I wish more of them would just be fucking good questions. So thank you for that, sir. Um, and I'm going to pause for some... Delicious brew. Mm. That is Jamaican Blue Mountain. That is wonderful. So all of the money I'm not making in sports I spend on coffee. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, on to other questions that people have asked. Um, the next question is kind of an amalgam of questions from a bunch of other people, but all on the same topic, and that is, the quick little piece that I penned for my good friend, Dr. Mike Isratel and he posted on his website about the high-carb, you know, off-season diet, which, uh, before I say anything, I'd like to say, I don't really think it, of it as an off-season diet. It's just simply diet. That's how people... With athletic prowess, eat. It's carbohydrates first. I, I just I see it no other way. So I do want to kind of connotate my own statements by saying that it yes, I wrote that in the context of being an off-season, but the reality is that's just how you fucking eat all the time. Even if you weren't athletic, you still would eat the predominance of your calories from carbohydrates. The arrangement and priority might be slightly different, but at the end of the day, that's what it is. So anyway, questions I had with that. Uh, one really stymied me, and that was, you know, am I serious about two grams per kilogram of nitrogen, a protein? Um, for Maybe the person who asked that's maybe not comfortable with the metric system. I don't know. That's equivalent to the age-old, almost dogma, gram per pound. It's 10% less. Um that that's I mean if you're not comfortable with that number you probably shouldn't lift weights I mean that that's just the that's just kind of the number and I did in the article very specifically reference that I took my information from Lyle McDonald's protein book so my first suggestion to you would be one just as a shameless pump to my good friend's book um, and two just because you need to know this shit go buy Lyle's book and read it I don't feel compelled to you know recite. Hundred-year-old research to you. Um, just, just you know, buy, pay the twenty or thirty dollars, buy Lyle's book, and learn that stuff, and then just shut up because that, that's just a con- conversation I don't even want to have. Um, other questions about that article specifically were the thirty to forty kilocalorie per kilogram range. I simply stated that as that's my experience. Definitely have had people much, much higher and a few people a little lower. You know, I've worked with IFBB Pro Bodybuilders that consume 65 kilocalories per kilogram. But I didn't include them in the article because that's just not relevant to anybody that was going to be reading that material. For the people reading the target audience of that material, 30 to 40 kilocalories per kilogram as a base energy expenditure is is very reasonable, very practical and uh, good good starting point for anyone. I would shoot the middle, you know, 35 kilocalories per kilogram and work from there. It's a simple tune up or down. So I, I think that's super, super appropriate. Uh, um, let's see. Theodore Bashar's asking another question. Is there a reason for preventative usage of an aromatase inhibitor during test enanthate cycle? Uh saying you don't have any subjective symptoms of high estrogen. Um, absolutely not. There's two points you need to understand there. Um, in reverse order, the second one first, and that is high estrogen is good for you physically. Okay, Good for your libido, good for your cardiac function. Um, one of the major reasons women live longer than men is because of their disproportionate estrogen to androgen ratio Uh Piles and piles and piles of research suggests that estrogen is very preservative of the arteries, of the cardiac tissue in general, of cardiac function, a superior LDL-HDL ratio. Estrogen is good for you. Now, you don't want so much of it that you start to get cosmetic implications. You probably don't want high estrogen to the point of growing titties. Uh, Okay, that seems reasonable, although I've even heard people make the argument that that's probably better and then just suffering gynecomastia surgery late in your career than exposing yourself to androgens and a low estrogen environment. I have heard uh, many people applaud uh, Dr. Paul Borison, uh, who unfortunately is no longer with us, but uh, he was a proponent of that very concept. Uh, so that's definitely something to think about. And then secondarily, which is actually the first point that I was going to make, is the whole idea here is to take as little testosterone is necessary and were you able to accomplish that then estrogen wouldn't be a problem then the concept of an aromatase enzyme inhibitor is not necessary uh enzyme inhibitors I think are very much like diuretics it's the fix for your fuck up if you accidentally take too much estrogen or t- rather testosterone and get estrogenic problems that's how you correct it, but the real solution is just don't make that fucking error in the first place. Same thing with diuretics. If you need a diuretic any time other than re- really proximally to a sporting event, um, you've just fucked up, taking too much of the wrong drugs, and now you're a swollen hog. That's the situation here. Um, aromatase enzyme inhibitors definitely have their place in contest prep and you know, a number of other scenarios, but just as a general all-around fix, you know, people have this attitude that you know, if I'm taking this drug, I have to take this drug. That's bullshit. Um, that's drug addict behavior. That's not intelligent or clever or organized. That's just garbage. Uh, and anybody who says otherwise, just fuck them. I just that's I don't have any humor for that. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that or abide by that in the slightest. Hmm. Hmm. It's the whole reason I do these videos is because it's a good excuse to just sit down and drink really good coffee. Talk, more or less talk to myself. But actually, no, there's quite a few people on here, so I'm not talking to myself today. Uh, Jonas Schwartz is antagonizing me, probably in, on purpose. Do you think those on AAS, anabolic androgenic steroids, for those of you that don't do acronyms, uh, and, and or high insulin... Could make use of more protein due to increased MPS. Uh, sorry, just to Sometimes I listen twice, uh, and we'll, with the high carbs. Okay. Um, he's probably very intentionally goading me there. Uh, the reality is the more steroids you take, the more anabolic steroids and or testosterone. Keep in mind, testosterone is not an anabolic steroid, it's an androgen. But, that maybe is just a little clever language, but the reality is the more anabolics you take, the less protein per kilogram body weight you have that you need. Um, regular people, yeah, they get away at like 0.8 grams per kilogram, but that's because they have barely no metabolism. They're doing anything. Um, natural athletes consistently need uh, as much as 3 grams per kilogram. I've heard argument for even higher, but the higher your androgen levels, the higher your anabolic levels The more protein-efficient, nitrogen-efficient your metabolism becomes, and actually the less grams per kilogram. Yes, it winds up Ronnie Coleman probably eats more protein than you, but that's largely for two reasons. One, he's three times as big as you, and two, once you start eating a certain calorie load... Um, getting getting your protein is actually not the problem. It's probably not getting too much is the problem just because there's protein in food and if you're eating ass piles of food on an hour-to-hour basis, um, you know, I made the point to someone, a little off topic, but I'll I'll, I'll do it real quick. I made the point to someone the other day that, um, you know, if you just go grab a box of white pasta, just grab it off the grocery store shelf and read it, you'll see that the entire box has about 1,600 calories, okay? awful lot of that's carbohydrates. However, if you just ate one pound of pasta, you would still get almost 60 grams of protein. Just from the pasta. That's not the meat or the meatballs or the sausage or anything you put on it to make it you know, an appealing plate of food. That's just the fucking pasta. I personally eat as much as 5,000 calories a day. That's three and a half boxes of pasta. If I took my calorie load from nothing but plain white pasta... I would get 150-plus grams of protein just from it. Now, yeah, I can hear, oh, that's low-quality protein, that's whatever, yeah, 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 I get it. But the point is, is that's simply one goddamn food. So getting getting protein has never been the problem, never will be the problem. Uh, and the more steroids you take, the less protein becomes a problem for every reason. Um, it's just the way it is. I'm sorry. I know that offends a lot of people. Uh, bodybuilders and athletes seem to have this uh, ownership of protein that you know protein and muscle are best friends and they have to go together. And it's just a fucking lie. And it's just a goofy thing that was made up to sell you shit. And uh, every so often a generation catches on and kind of loses it, and then it just comes right by rushing right back. So um, that, that's it. I mean, people grew really big muscles long before protein supplements were a thing. And people will continue to do so far into the future. It's just nonsense. Um, Worrying about everything but your protein intake. You know, people spend hours and hours worrying about the quality of their protein, and you hear dick about the quality of their fats or even the quality of their carbohydrates or any vitamin or mineral issue. You know, I you know people can be dumbfounded when I try and get them to take you know dietary zinc. But if I told them to get the protein from fucking rat droppings. They'd run out as fast as they can to try and get it. It's uh, it's silliness. Oh, let's see. Another question here. Hi, Evil Genius. I never get d- addressed as Evil Genius. That's funny. Um, hi, what is your opinion on Mastron for powerlifting? Um, my entire career was based on it. Is that a fair answer? Um, I think Masteron in is... First of all, I think of Mastron kind of as the poor man's primoballon. And what could possibly be better than a high androgen, high anabolic uh, drug with low water retention? um, Help you make weight, you know, or help you not miss weight because it's you know low water retentive. Uh, It's a DHT derivative, so you get a high level of neurological activation. Um, Every single strength athlete that I coach is a big fan of it because I made them that way. Um, It's pretty much how you do. I think it's how you do. Uh, My drug involvement, my involvement in the drug aspect of sports began largely working with track and field athletes and uh, especially in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, Standalone Mastron was without a doubt the preeminent drug in track and field. So uh, I'm a huge, huge fan. Why so many people prefer Primobolin over Mastron? Uh, Primobolin probably is a superior drug Minus the caveat that it's more expensive, harder to get, and more often faked. So yeah, if you really are confident that Premobol and Premabolan, primabolin, it's a superior drug. Yet, but you're talking about the difference between you know A and A plus. Um, would I have any issue rolling into a major event with just Masteron rather than Premobolan? Absolutely not. I've done it a hundred times. Uh, given the option, if money and quality were not issues, I would definitely go with the primabolin. Uh but, yeah, it's it's a wonderful drug. Um, and you, you do point out wonderfully that uh, they are very similar in anabolic androgenic profile. You're right. The difference is preverbalin is just slightly more sophisticated. It's a higher tier derivative. A little more cleverness was put into the actual design. And because of that, there's slightly lower repercussions, even though they are very similar on the uh, Anabolic androgenic ratio and similar in half-life and that sort of thing. Um, sophistication of the construction of the actual molecule is probably the thing that has the largest downstream implications. Carry over into other hormonal cycles, you know, things that begin to act on brain chemicals, leptin, ghrelin, you know, all the things that, you know, you kind of hear about and, you know, people think they kind of understand and trust me, they don't because... You know, I talk to the best in the world, and the first thing they tell me is, we don't understand this shit. But the reality is, the influence on those downstream molecules is, or ke- chemicals is largely in the structure of the molecule. And typically, the more sophisticated the molecule, um, the, the more it skirts those downstream implications. So, um, mastron bond very similar, but bond is almost certainly sim- uh, superior in an overall picture. Approximately in terms of your results up to event, probably no different whatsoever. Uh, let's see. Kyle Spencer is here. Hi, Kyle. It's good to see you. Um, I got your email the other day. Thank you, sir. Mm. Uh, let's see. Mercia uh, Blacha. Hi, Broderick. I may have gotten this wrong, but doesn't metformin impact impede carbohydrate absorption? Uh, Actually, absolutely not. That is something that people get wrong almost daily. Uh, I believe the reason for that perception is that metformin lowers overall blood sugar levels. It does that in two ways. Way one is, I think, where most people wind up focusing. It does signal the liver to release less glucose into the blood. Okay? So, the liver itself is one of the major reservoirs of blood su- of sugar. You you know, it goes in order of blood sugar, liver sugar, muscle sugar. That's the storage heart hierarchy. And yes, as blood sugar comes down, the first event is the liver then dumps a small amount in To bring up, and it is truly a small amount. Blood sugar, you know, from head to toe, the amount of sugar in your blood is phenomenal. But anyway, that's the order of it. So yes, metformin does release the amount of or reduce the amount of sugar that your liver releases into the bloodstream. So if you were a diabetic, that would be an enormously beneficial thing. Is as you're trying to regulate your blood sugar because of your ineptitude, you know, physiologically to do so naturally, you've got less of the liver fighting against you trying to re-raise sugar. So it definitely does that. However, the other thing it does to lower blood sugar is it actually changes the geometry of the GLUT4 translocator, making it slightly more efficient, meaning it makes sugar easier to get into muscle cells. Well, while it's also doing that, it then in fact does make the cells more permeable to uh, amino acids, ions, salt, potassium, Uh, calcium, etc. So basically everything can now get into the cell better. The consequence of that is definitely suppressed blood sugar because more of the blood sugar is evacuating into the cells and less of it's being replaced. However, as an athlete, you're eating so much that that is overwhelmed by orders of magnitude and it's of absolutely zero consequence to athletes and might actually be A backhanded benefit in that now you can eat even more carbohydrates because there's less of a logjam at the blood sugar level which is one of the major triggers for the conversion over into triglycerides or fatty acids so you're kind of right but yet yet that's one of those things where a lot of these quote experts understand something just enough to see something they think is a problem, and then they throw their hands up and they don't realize you have to look, relook, look some more. And, and don't get me wrong, don't look like I'm the world's you know preeminent. Uh, I've spoken to those people, but I'm not that guy. So um, there's there's probably layers upon layers deep involving this drug. And keep in mind, metformin's from the middle 1950s. I mean, it's it's an old drug. It's been around a long time. We're talking about, like, coming up on 75 years of metformin. So there's an awful, awful awful lot of science out there. But yet, true, deep, you know, biochemical understanding of these things is rare. So uh, I can certainly understand the confusion. But that's just a kind of a touch on how and why that's still a benefit to bodybuilders. (coughs) probably even a greater bod- benefit to dieting bodybuilders because of that reduction in release of blood sugar, constantly suppressed blood sugar will make the body search for secondary fuel substrates, fatty acids being the major one, um, amino acids being a slightly secondary one, a little less efficacious. But nonetheless, i uh, just give you some, some insights on what's going on there. <sighs> Kyle Spencer asked me if I have shares in metformin. I do not uh, wish I had... Um, because it's uh you know been a really good drug for a really long time, I'd probably uh, actually be worth something today. Hmm. let's see here general guidelines for number of carbohydrate, number of grams of carbohydrates per iU of insulin. Um, the classic answer on that is uh, ten grams per IU. Um, the reality is I think that's really, um, overstating it. That's super erring on the side of, uh, safety, which is not a bad thing, but I also think that's some of why the dogma of, ooh, insulin makes you fat is because, yeah, if you just blatantly fucking overeat like a maniac, that does make you fat. Uh, I think insulin is probably a secondary player in that particular scenario. Um, to answer your question, I don't really have a specific guideline uh, I don't think it's nearly as hard fast. It probably s- depends on the starting diet, tolerance, the person's natural glucose responses across the board. Um, I've literally coached athletes where I've introduced, you know, five IUs of insulin twice of our insulin twice a day and made zero changes to their diet, zero, uh, and gotten results. So it's not nearly as simple as that, but starting at 10 grams per IU and probably whittling it down until you start to find a problem zone or a a concern zone is probably a very sensible way to go about it. You know, at 10 grams per IU, you're super covered. And then, like I said, you know, over time you go, you know, five IUs, 50 grams, and then five IUs, you know, Forty-five grams of five IUs and forty grams, and work it down over time until you find that you know, oh, right around thirty-five grams of you know carbohydrates within that window, and I'm a little you know sweaty and you know excited, and that's probably just right. Um, maybe even bring it back up just a little bit, but definitely efficacy and not overeating. So you do want to find you know, just like estrogen, you want it's kind of one of those things where you you want as much as you can without getting the side effect you don't want. Which in this case would be, you know, confusion, that sort of thing. So, you you, you know, you want a certain amount of that metabolic stress, but you don't want, it, you know, downright, you know, cognitive issues or, you know, obviously falling down or something silly. But that's uh, kind of my thoughts there. <sighs> Uh, Kyle Spencer, as a cheaper alternative to legitimate low-dose HGH, what are your thoughts on MK-677? Um, my thoughts are roughly the same now as they were before. Is I personally just don't have enough experience with it to really have an opinion. Uh, I've read... Piles and piles of research, and it looks like a really good idea. Uh, it looks pretty efficacious. I do have a couple of concerns that I haven't heard addressed. Nadia, would you be nice enough to top that off? Yeah. Thank you. Um, I, you know, um, my good friend Tony Huge over at Advanced Athlete uh, sells it. He uh, uses it. But let me be very clear on that. He uses it. Um, he loves it. He's a huge fan. Um, I I have, because of who I am and what I do, I just have not used it a lot, nor have I worked with people that have. So I don't have a very strong direct uh, experience, and I don't like to make statements outside of direct experience. But from the research, it certainly looks like it works. It certainly looks effective. Um, my biggest concern is, um, you know, kind of like the... Uh, fantastical non-existent adrenal fatigue my concern is if you do drive the pituitary and the related access access to consistently overproduce and over release growth hormone um, what are the consequences locally and hormonally to or or, you know health wise to the actual hormone producing physiology to the actual gland aspect Um, I've never really heard anybody mention that Uh, short of um, the late Dr. Fred Hatfield was talking about that, you know, in regards to using you know uh, growth hormone releasing amino acids like you know arginine and glycine and stuff in the middle of the night to generate these bolus releases of growth hormone. You know, he, even then he was mentioning, but we really don't know what the consequence of doing that consistently over long periods of time. Um, I kind of share his concern now. In the athletic mindset of relative disregard for long-term health, yeah, it certainly seems like it works. Uh, Blood tests consistently show elevations in growth hormone and concurrent elevations in IGF-1. So I I see no reason why you wouldn't want to try it. And in truth, most people are sufficiently recreational enough of athletes that they're not taking this shit at high dose every day for 10 years, um, which probably relieves him of much of the concern and burden but uh and still just as the thinker as that guy that likes to dig into these things i do have certain concerns and i personally don't have a lot of experience although i will say and maybe he'll listen to this uh dr huge tony over there at enhanced athlete did uh, suggest he was going to send me a significant supply of that that i could then disseminate among you know candidates of my uh, flock to you know run some trials and if that does happen I will absolutely do so and I will absolutely report back to everyone what I find uh, but at the moment I, I really just don't feel like I possess enough personal experience to really give you any really valid or or long-term you know thoughts so that, that's that's pretty much where I'm at on that I hope I I hate to dodge your question, but at the same time, I just hate to open my mouth and say something that I'm not really super uh, confident and super comfortable with. So anyway, Kyle, and I and I know that that question was a little bit for you, and uh, you probably are a very good candidate. Uh, I would suggest maybe you do try that. Uh, what are my thoughts on oral steroids? Are they worth the increased liver toxicity and impact on LDL, HDL? And what about provorin? Do you see a benefit to it? Interesting. Two kind of almost entirely separate uh, questions. Um, My thoughts on oral steroids at large are, other than the convenience, not having to do an injection or what have you, they're expensive, easily faked, not a big fan across the board. I think the liver toxicity side is wildly overstated. Uh, I don't want to diminish it. I don't want to say it's not real. It, it definitely is. But in the doses that most recreational you know, you're talking 40, 50, 60 milligrams a day, you got to take a fucking really long time to really generate any measurable, measurable uh, you know, health, deleterious type side effects. Uh, I think liver toxicity is probably the least of your concerns. I think more relevant concerns would be things like elevated blood pressure, um, you know, reductions in diet or in, in, in appetite, and of course the aforementioned uh, you know negative alterations LDL, HDL. Although that might actually not apply to the drug Anivar. Um, little known history fact: Anivar was actually considered as a blood cholesterol medication. Uh, it overall lowers total cholesterol. It does skew LDL-HDL but its total impact is a reduction in blood plasma cholesterol. Um, that is verified. That's not an opinion. That is truly uh, truly, absolutely accurate. So um, in general my attitude with uh, oral steroids is use them sparingly, use them in the appropriate place and kind of stupidly that's my attitude about everything. You look at the conditions, you look at what you need to accomplish, and you look at the tools available to accomplish those tasks, and then you apply them appropriately. In my own designs of cycles, typically I only use uh, orals either very early on to get a kind of a rapid onset, that front-loading that everybody tries to accomplish with stupid fucking injection patterns that don't work. Um, You know, kind of in that scenario or competitive bodybuilders, Orals tend to bring, mentioned back to that blood pressure thing, tend to bring fullness, size, volume, all things that you run out of as you get fucking more and more hungry and depleted. So anabolic steroids, or oral anabolic steroids, would be a great thing to bring in to artificially sustain some measure of fullness and size coming into a contest. And coincidentally, the aforementioned, they tend to blunt appetite. What better to take when hunger... It's probably going to be your biggest demon. So, again, it's the right tool for the right job. So, I, I don't love orals, but they definitely have a place. They're definitely usable tools. And you asked specifically about provorin um, or proviron. I knew a guy who worked actually for the company that originally sold it, and he pronounced it provorin. I know everyone else insists on pro- pronouncing it proviron. He may have been the asshole and wrong, but I picked up that habit from him. So, I call it provorin. Anyway... Um, provorin is a unique drug in that it is actually a pretty crappy anabolic, uh, probably not worth taking for its anabolic action but it definitely has some very beneficial actions on binding, form, binding proteins and vo- volume of binding proteins and its exceedingly high affinity to binding proteins. So it's definitely super usable for that aspect, uh, but it's very kind of what I call a conditional anabolic. Is it's probably not worth a damn on its own, but conditionally, uh, you know, arranged in a cycle and in a strategy, it could very much be used to reduce or antagonize binding proteins, so that you have available drug to operate on target tissue. So it's definitely usable, but it's a very advanced thing. It's not something I'm going to sit here and talk about for half an hour to (coughs) explain that specifically. But um, you know, grab Llewellyn's book, read up on it, kind of get an understanding of it. Um, If you do that, then shoot me some specific questions. We could talk about specifics once you have a base of knowledge. But just know that kind of not good anabolic, kind of good for manipulating binding proteins if you would need to do that and move forward there. <coughs> uh, what would I recommend Ped stack for intermediate power lifter with body fat of 15%? Uh, and that's coming from Michael Wegzern? 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 Um, that is not a question. That's actually not even a question. Uh, I don't mean to be sarcastic, but again this is a right tool for the right job it that is way too generic of information to make a recommendation i would need to know and you would theoretically need to know to make this kind of decisions for yourself is you know what aspect of your training needs support where are your strengths where are your weaknesses you know if you're kind of one of those round full you know kind of big knee big hand kind of guys that doesn't need fullness and support in terms of body weight, then that's one whole class of drugs you probably wouldn't need. Whereas the other side of the coin, you know, is if you're a, a naturally, you know, if you'll excuse the word, kind of very skinny and always maintaining body weight and body mass is always a problem, you're probably going to want to migrate toward another side of things. If skill acquisition is your weakness, there's probably yet a different class of drugs you're going to exploit. Um, you know, if re- recovery is notoriously a problem or injury prevention or, or even neurological activation, each of those things warrants different compounds to su- stimulate and support. So it's really not a just, oh yeah, if everybody just takes trend, they'll be big and strong. Well, fuck that. That's nonsense. Yes, that's true. It'll work for everyone all the time. But is it ideal? Is it addressing specifically what you need? No. That's, by definition, it's fucking not. So, drug you should be, m- you should think much more systematically and, and, and specifically and uh, kind of Be more elegant about your choices. Yes, brute force will work. It always has. But you can do as much with less, and in some cases even more with less, if you're clever and you think and you experiment and you keep notes and you think about your notes and you talk to others with similar and even radically different conditions, compare notes. This is the kind of thing that's science, that's dialogue. That's how it is supposed to work. Ah let me see here uh, let's see here Jonah Schwartz says I'm an encyclopedia with experience Uh definitely have experience I can tell you that um, probably a lot more than people that get a lot more credit than me uh, I'm not saying that as a brag I'm just saying that as a you know I have done and been in the room when things have been done that from damn near unspeakable. So Ah, I appreciate the fact that you recognize that. Thank you, man. Uh, Michael Wegzern. How do you apply saunas as part of training or as a recovery tool? Um, That's an interesting question. Uh, Shameless plug of my own product. If you go back and listen to the podcast I did on recovery, uh, you will hear... A true expert in the field, not me, being not me, uh, talk about that. And one of the things that comes through on that consistently is um, no matter how you use something like that, it is a very minor tool. Not to say it doesn't have efficacy, doesn't have validity, um, but its actual physiological impact is very small. Now, many very small things piled on top of each other for a very long time can be a measurable. Impact. So I'm not discrediting it. I'm just saying that the reality is you probably have much more important things in your training paradigm to worry about than refining specifically how, when, and where you sauna Um, with one caveat. Unless it's something you really enjoy. If it's something, if it's some part of the, the thing that you really like and look forward to, much like myself and coffee, Coffee's beneficial, coffee's efficacious, but I take it way too fucking far. But I love coffee, and so it's a reason for me to stop and do things really well and deliberately because I'm about to love this. If you feel the same way about sauning, and I'm not accusing you of that by any means, but I'm just saying that this applies to anything. Insert any word there. whirlpool, sauna, active rest, tennis, badminton, fucking masturbation. Doesn't matter what it is. If that's the thing that you're really going to key on, then by all means, do focus on that. Because that can then be a trigger for all sorts of good behaviors. Uh, an awful lot of this is psychology and not kind of that weird at large gay psychology. It's it's you. You know you better than I know you. So if you know that that's a thing that you're going to focus on, then run wild with it. Go crazy and focus the fuck out of that. And hope that that carries on and gives you good behaviors downstream. So my thoughts specifically on saunas is kind of nothing. But if it's important to you, then your thoughts should be all about it. Use that to then go crazy with good recovery uh, programming, which by the way, you should program your recovery and you know work into active rest, followed by sauna, followed by stretching, followed by... You definitely do that. And there's books upon books about that. Not my field specifically, but again, my field specifically sometimes is just saying that, yeah, that's a thing, go buy the book and read that. That's definitely a thing. This is one of those cases where it's definitely a thing and if it's important to you, then make it fucking important to you. Go out and get the necessary information and figure out the way to just be the god-fuck-king of saunas and hope that that carries over to helping your squat, your deadlift, your bench press, your overall macabre. Uh, and it probably will. By being the god-king of coffee and metformin, I get some really good benefits. I probably fight a few side effects as well. I've been I've you know since birth, but... Uh, I mean, the truth, in truth, probably not from the coffee. It's just a lucky coincidence. But the reality is, you know, you everything that you put your heart into is going to generate some negative feedbacks. But if that's your thing, make it your fucking thing, man. I, I really think that's a good deal. Uh, uh, Jonah Swartz is asking me about arachidonic acid since I brought up wellen And wellen is a big fan of arachidonic acid. Um... Interesting, because that's all in the news now, you know, the bodybuilding news, which is old news, by the way, that NSAIDs, you know, interfere with muscle growth. Yes, they do, because they block the COX pathway, which is one of the major stimulators of local um, antagonism and inflammation, largely eicosanoids. The major eicosanoid there is arachidonic acid. Um, I see little evidence that just because arachidonic acid is necessary for the full cascade of muscle growth, I don't see a lot of evidence that then. Well, more is probably going to work even better. Um, I'm not prepared to argue it tooth and nail, but I don't immediately see that correlation. Uh, I suspect that the weak link in most people's you know, uh, hypertrophy program and plan and overall you know health hypertrophy metabolism let's call it that i doubt is a weakness in the arachidonic acid pathway i doubt that you know people you know that if they just get a little more arachidonic acid and just get a little more sore and a little more inflamed uh they grow faster ah, that seems like a really big stretch to me um again i'm not bashing bill Llewellyn's a super fucking smart guy um really keyed into the chemistry of muscle growth on all sides Uh, I wouldn't immediately dismiss it, but I'm a little suspicious, and I know that a few people that have used it um, thought maybe it did work, but maybe not worth the cost of crushing fucking muscular soreness, which they all reported, which makes perfect sense because it's an inflammatory agent. It's going to make inflammation worse. So I suspect it's probably not the thing you need to focus on, but... um, Then again, somebody somewhere has to focus on everything because we need to figure this shit out. So as a rule, in general, general pop, most recreational lifters, probably not the place to look for you. But I bet it does have some applications. It probably will have some applications in rehabilitation where the amount of exercise a person could do is incredibly limited because of physiological limitations. Perhaps exaggerating the inflammatory response might accelerate like in, you know, super high intensity or super low volume scenarios or something like that. Um, again, there's probably an application for it. But like I said, for general pop, probably not where you want to spend your time. Uh, unless you're that asshole. Then by all means, spend your time and come back and tell me what you found. Uh, uh, Michael Wegzern. Thanks for the answer. Love it. Which common strength programs like Shaco, 531, Juggernaut, West Side do you find best? 5 uh, 3 embarrassingly simple, and I wouldn't recommend it to really anyone. Uh, West Side's just fucking laughable. It's not a fucking system. It's a bunch of fat guys with fucking beanie caps just fucking jerking off in a corner. It's useless. You want to play with rubber bands, go into bondage, don't fucking lift weights. That's just fucking stupid. Um, in truth, I actually don't know an enormous amount about what juggernaut puts out. Uh, I just have a limited amount of time and I don't focus on what they're doing, but I know people who know the people and they're all spoken of very highly, uh, very intellectual, very you know good, it's good. <coughs> so my suggestion would be, out of the things you mentioned, probably Juggernaut's the place to go, although I personally don't have a lot of, actually any experience with what they're doing. Uh, I do know that it's highly regarded by people that I regard. So that's probably the closest to an endorsement I can offer there. But uh, West Side's an embarrassment against humanity. Uh, Five three one is workable, but it's it's literally like junior high school caliber. Like it'd be a great place to start lifting weights, but it's by no means for an intermediate lifter. Uh, and Shaco is is actually also kind of super simplistic, but it does have you know high frequency. Uh, organized periodization. So again, I, I couldn't say anything really particularly negative about it. It's definitely not the way I did things in my lifting career, but uh, certainly workable and effective. But uh, f- of what you mentioned there, probably the juggernauts. Where I would, you know, if I was going to spend money, that's where I would spend it. Uh, five through ones, fucking silly, and West Side's just an embarrassment. Like I'm a little ashamed you even brought it up. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Chafik, Chafik Abba, who, uh, by the way, it's just, you know, his, his moniker on all social media is tiny, media, tiny mountain, dude's not tiny, he's a big ass French man, <laughs> he's a fucking big muscular dude, so, um, I find that funny, but anyway, his re- remark is nice beard, and fucking course it is, it's mine, fuck off, anyway, um reads that metformin could uh, generate some digestion side effects. Uh, typically, uh, kind of, you know, not, not something people love to talk about, but usually the uh, the gastrointestinal response, if there's a negative one, it's gas. Um, I, I know that uh, in the diabetic community, um, it could actually be referred to as the fart pill. It does, and it's seemingly, and this is kind of weird, but seemingly that, Particular side effect crops up much more frequently among clinical diabetics. I have absolutely no explanation for that. But you give metformin to ten non-diabetics and ten diabetics, the, the proportion of people that were you know, mentioned that as a side effect is much higher in the diabetic side. Uh, couldn't begin to explain why that is. I've even asked. Quote experts, no explanation, but it is recognized that the more diabetic you are, the more likely you are to get gas from metformin. Um, you know, at any one time, I'm working with 20 athletes, and typically none of them really complain about you know gastrointestinal and or gas. So I, I don't regard it as particularly big concern, but it is a thing and you at if you are the one who experiences that you have exactly two options deal with it or stop taking it that, that unfortunately that's it it's not the sort of thing that will get better over time or you know take something else to curb it it's just you're that guy unfortunately then you have a choice to make you know is either fucking walk around in a cloud of shit smell or you know move on to perhaps some other agent so uh, I wish I again, wish I could be a little more helpful. But that's the reality of things. Do you want more coffee? Let's see here. Got a couple more. Um, Michael Wegzer, who is in, interacting an awful lot. And I'm, that's not a criticism. That's really good. And nobody does that. It's, I appreciate it. Um, how important is the natural level of testosterone for natural athletes? Um... <sighs> Okay, I understand the context of the question. The reality is that's probably not... In terms of if you're naturally at 500 nanograms per deciliter uh, versus somebody else who is naturally at 8 or 9 or 1,000 nanograms per deciliter. um, There's two factors there. One, obviously the guy with the higher level might have a slightly systemic long-term advantage. Possibly. But the biggest thing you want to focus on as an athlete in terms of your testosterone level, and this actually applies natural or unnatural, is maintaining that level. Training volume and as you approach overtraining, one of the hormonal systemic responses is an elevation until your body can no longer elevate and then unfortunately you get a decline. So what you really want to moderate and modulate is... Preventing the decline, not getting reduced testosterone levels over time, and staying as close to your natural abilities, you know, your maximal abilities, is a much bigger, much more important concept than what goofy fuck testosterone booster can you take to try and eke out 50 nanograms per deciliter that lasts for three fucking minutes on a Wednesday, on a full moon, if you stand on one foot, and you know, point to the east. Uh, that kind of shit just doesn't matter. But maximizing what you have and not allowing it to degrade over time, much like insulin response. Everybody wants to talk about you know, you, you know the, these goofy transient ways to. Preserve your insulin you know, resistance and preserve your carbohydrate sensitivity and, you know, by, you know, lowering your carbohydrates for one day or why you're not training or oh, fucking shit. That's transient. It doesn't have any impact. The goal is over time, not allow your insulin resistance or your carbohydrate sensitivity to erode over time. Same thing here. Just don't design your training cycles in such a way that your testosterone declines measurably over time. That's going to give you the best maximization of the genetic tools you were given. This is all about ma- resource management. That's all All of this fucking is. Mike tells written book upon book upon book about periodization, and really all it is is good management of the resources you have at hand. Um, I'm not trying to degrade his stuff because it's great stuff, and it's super fucking necessary, i.e., the fact that you asked this question its really, really important shit, but it really comes down to something as fundamental as that. It's just manage your resources so well that you don't go backward. Then you at least have the possibility of talking about moving forward. But moving forward before you've g- kind of cemented the don't go backwards, it's useless and, and, and just pointless. Uh, Jonas Schwartz, how do you keep your joints healthy? Uh, I don't. I just hurt all the fucking time. I, literally, uh, if you don't know, I was in a tragic accident. My feet were destroyed. Uh, my feet hurt every minute of the fucking day. I squat six and seven hundred pounds, and it hurts so bad. I literally, like, you know, pee myself. It, it's uh, my my right elbow only bends that far. Um, I am a terrible person to talk about that. I recognize the necessity of it much too late, and most of the useful modalities are start early, do them a long time type of thing, and I didn't do that, and I am an orthopedic wreck. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, have, I, have, I am not the guy to talk to on that front. I apologize, but uh, definitely pursue that, and my recommendations to you would be don't take that casually like I did in my youth because they will your your, your mechanical system will wear out, and it will be painful and not a lot of fun. Uh, I am living proof of that. Obviously, the accident isn't consequence of bad training, but everything else is, and both piled on top of each other is borderline unbearable. If it was just the fact that my elbows don't work that good, my shoulders have limited range, it would suck, and I'd still tell you, hey, pay attention, but the fact that everything's layered on top of everything, I'm, I'm a wreck, so don't, don't ask me. Uh, Michael Wegzern asks, uh, th- tells me thank you for answers, and... Uh, the question here is What would be your message? Oh, it went past. Can I get it back? Yeah. Uh, to personal trainers who never apply D loads to his customers. Uh, you're a fucking criminal and you should be beaten with a fucking large black dildo until you fucking bleed. I don't know. That seems fair to me. Um. And honestly, actually, the people I would address in that equation is actually the clients. Um, why are you paying a fucking clown like that if they don't you know, recognize that the body is a dynamic thing and recovery and abilities and logistic abilities and things don't modulate over time? I mean, your job, your life, your kids, your everything else goes up and down over time. You don't have to be an exercise physiologist to recognize that you know, life, is a cycle it gets light it gets dark it gets warm it gets cold shit changes over time uh if you're training a static a dogmatic why are you paying for that you can just fucking photocopy a magazine page and just do that um so i would really address the trainees and ask them why the fuck are they spending their money uh not the personal trainers because if they're that daft nothing i say is going to make any inroad into them um you know i mean unless you want to just like pull up to their house and like i said you know the aforementioned beat them with a you know black rubber dildo until they bleed. Like, I'm, I can get on board with that. Tell me what time to pick you up. Uh, anyway, when I, when David Baggerly says, when training first thing in the morning, uh, what would be some nutritional recommendations pre-workout? I don't think the timing has a damn thing to do with it. Uh, I'm not trying to be obtuse. I just, uh, there's a really, really big kind of... Will make it such a fucking commotion. Um, largely, <coughs> what you're doing today is powered by what you did yesterday. Uh, I know that sounds corny, but it's not. The, the amount of liver and muscle glycogen you have isn't about what you're eating today. It's what about what you ate and did yesterday. Um, so if you have a good organized structure to your life, which you should, if you're, you know, think you're any sort of organized athlete. Um, today's activity is predicated on yesterday's behavior, so it's really not that it's not the big deal that people make it out to be. You know, if your training sessions are exceedingly difficult, I mean, you know, Platziyan, you know, fucking that kind of thing, or staggeringly long, you know, you've got the, you know, Steve Mihalik, John Defendis, you know, hundred sets, okay. Then there's some relevance, but in general, um, I just don't see it as nearly that big of a deal. Nor do I see it as something that would change specifically because you're doing it first thing in the morning or last thing at night or whatever. Um, you know, get your you know the best thing I can tell you is get up early enough that you're actually fucking awake by the time you get to the gym. I do see that you know if people rolling to the gym they do an the eight o'clock workout and they get up at seven fifteen. That's not a fucking good plan. Um, But in general, I would just treat it like anything else. You know, an hour before the workout, you know, have some protein. Have the appropriate number of calories from carbohydrates. Um, Maybe because you're about to roll into the workout, you know, maybe a a slightly greater predominance of simple carbohydrates just because they'd be slightly faster and get a slightly bigger insulin response. Insulin is anti-catabolic, which could help you know, specific metabolisms during a workout. But in general, I think that's, again, not the thing to worry about. Overall, getting the appropriate amounts of, and you know, or not getting <laughs> the appropriate amounts of calories, protein, carbohydrates uh, over time is a much bigger issue than that proximal, you know, what about my workout? Like all the people in their fucking precious pre-workout. If you need a pre-workout, really what you need is hair on your balls. Um, you should just want to work out. You should be... Yeah, that should be the thing. That, that's the reason you got the fuck out of bed. So I, I really put a lot less stock in that than most people would. Uh, again, it's why I'm not employed any longer by supplement companies. And that sort of thing is because you, my attitudes are very based on rational thought and not, you know, the latest, greatest thing and what goofy fucking South American root is going to drive up your blood pressure, make you shake. Um, and there are people that are into that sort of thing, and so be it. Uh, I am not. Okay, Mike Aniska is asking me something about long-term use and the need for greater dosages over time. Uh, About adaptations to homeostasic dosage. Obviously, as you get bigger, your muscles are bigger, so you need more drug to treat the muscle mass, so your doses escalate over time. Um, How about, like, for instance, a TRT-type dose, that sort of thing? Um... There probably is an overall accumulation of necessary, you know, escalation, but it's nominal. Um, again, because you're truly in a homeostasic environment where you're not really working to accrue muscle mass, and so myonucleation, myonuclear donation, all of that largely takes care of the muscle side of things. Uh, and really, you're just talking about you know a TRT type arrangement being mainly for. Systemic health, conversion to estrogen, support of the lib- libido, etc. Yes, bigger creatures always need a little bit more. So you know your true TRT numbers over a course of a career might go from 150 milligrams a week to three or four hundred milligrams a week, but that's over a really long period of time, like decades, and probably the accumulation of hundred pounds of lean mass. Um, so in general, for again, for the kind of casual, average, everyday. Uh, individual it's super nominal and undershooting it is probably the least of your sins because again the aforementioned myoducleation and what have you means you'll be able to regain that muscle even if you were to truly undershoot it and you know detrain or atrophy it'll bounce back that quote muscle memory type situation so probably better to relieve your health burden by underdosing and assuming that it'll come back later when you properly dose versus trying to, you know, skirt that line of take enough drugs that you never re- regress, um, that ultimately winds up in you're never actually off and you never actually get any health benefit from being off. So that's probably where that is. Like, like I said, there probably really is a medical you know, necessity to accumulate dose over time, but it, it's it's nominal. Uh, pro- again, probably not where I would spend my time really worrying about right now. <laughs> Uh, Let's see here. Jonas, almost every bodybuilder, even amateur, runs trend before contest. Fuck no, they don't. I do not prescribe anyone to take trend. I think it's garbage almost always. Um, Rare cases. Somebody work with me takes trend, contest or otherwise. Although I will say that if you were going to use it, contest time is probably the only time. Um, A few strong men I know use it, and they literally use it. Purely for the side effect aspect is they take you to get fucking mean so that, you know, picking up 300 pound rocks seems like a good idea. But uh, anyway, is there any substitute to get equal or near results without the harsh effects of trend? Um, I would, again, I would look at that entirely different. Um, You're a good person, you interact with all my shit, and I'm I'm really not busting your balls, Uh, but just as a question, that kind of annoys me. What you take should be a function of what characteristics you need to support and or improve. It shouldn't be simply, oh, trends, a contest prep drug, or this is a... No, it's a matter of what is the physiology, the physique, the whatever missing, and then you support that specifically if you need size and volume it's this group of drugs if you need nitrogen retention it's this group of drugs if you need neurological recruitment it's this group of drugs some of those things cross over by the way and do multiple things but nonetheless you should be treating you know it's like saying you know Just walk up to a pharmacist and say, is penicillin a good drug? And they're like, yeah, it's a great drug. All right, I need some of that. No, you only fucking need that if you're sick. It's not good for everyone all the time. It's good if you have a fucking bacterial infection. Same thing here. It's like saying, is Trent a good drug? Well, if you fucking need to punch somebody in the face, you know, if you're going to be locked in a metal cage and fight for your life, yeah, it's a fucking great drug. Um, You know, you're going to try and raise a family and lift weights on the weekends. It's a shit drug. So... It's right tool for the right job. It always comes down to that, and it always will. Uh, can't make it otherwise. I'm sorry. Ugh. Michael Wedzer. How do you coach intra-abdominal pressure to newbies? I don't. Uh, largely, I don't work with Uh, early stage athletes my skill sets my mentality and psychology almost exclusively lend themselves to intermediate and advanced athletes and so the truth is I just don't deal with those people on a regular basis Uh, my general attitude and I think everyone you know the the, my recurring people will know that I've said this repeatedly is if you have to ask me questions like how to lift weights I don't want to fucking talk to you Um, I, I don't mean that as an offense I don't mean that it's just, I'm not, I'm not the guy. I'm not the touchy-feely teacher guy, you know, squeeze, twist, ba- fuck that, no. Uh, my mind is entirely other places and thinking about entirely different things, and I'm just not the guy to talk to about that. You know, talk to somebody with a fucking lower IQ. Go ask fucking Mark Bell or somebody, because they'll love to talk to you to fucking death about this secret way to breathe and pooch out your ass when you squat. Um, yeah. I mean, great, and they're great at it, and they're the people you should talk to, um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, and it's funny, dude, because I have a fucking 700-pound back squat without a belt, and I couldn't even tell you how I do it. I just fucking do it. Um, you just lift weights and take drugs and eat a bunch of food and you get really strong and magic ensues. Um, I know that sounds incredibly unintellectual from the evil genius, but the reality is that that's it. I mean, some of the biggest, fucking strongest motherfuckers that ever walked this planet are dumb as turnips. Um, this shit is not really an intellectual endeavor at large. Um, so, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that was a disappointing answer, but it's, it's the one I'll stick to uh, religiously uh, quite, quite sincerely. Uh, we are at about the hour mark. I'm going to go just a little bit longer, and answer a couple more questions, and then I am going to wrap things up being Super Bowl Sunday. Oh. Michael Wegzer and Mark Bell, Westside, So who are your top five people to follow online, uh, I don't follow anybody online. I fucking spend all my time reading medical journals, science research uh, papers, uh, you know, comparative studies. Uh, I just don't spend any time uh, with that sort of thing. I really, uh, I don't want to say anything that makes me just sound like a complete asshole, but the truth is, is the things I think about on a regular basis those people you're thinking about just have nothing to offer me. Um I, ju- I I'm sorry, I just don't. Uh the people that are interesting to me uh are not those people. They're not, you know, there's a couple of research professors, you know, in, in, in Scandinavia and, and Asia that the minute they publish something, I'm I'm fucking right there with you know big eyes. Uh, <coughs> there's a couple for ph- you know pharmaceutical Research websites that I, you know, scour over. But, you know, what fucking power of their A, B, or C thinks is the proper way to pinch their ass when they're squatting? Like, I just don't give a fuck about that. I I never have and probably never will. Uh, So I I really can't answer you there. I'm sorry. Alex Matthew, your opinion on enjoying the process, synergy, and about obsessing about details that make relatively no difference and focusing on the 99% makes a huge difference in my world so love thanks and you know what there was a question earlier about like what would be my what would be the thing I say that's what I would say is leave the details to people like me and let people like me work out those fucking details and when you're ready for them come around with a couple dollars and a notepad and we'll have an exchange but for 99% of you, 99% of your time should really just be figuring out if you actually fucking really like lifting weights and eating like a fucking animal and etc. And then just do that and literally 99% of your progress will come from focusing on that big just 99% shit. The 2% that separates you know, third place from first place, that's where people like me live. And it's really not, I I don't, it's one of the reasons I don't make a lot of money is because I just don't think that my product, as it were, is just, has a particularly broad reach or broad relevance to most of you. I really think most of you could just, you know, buy a freezer full of ground beef, a big bag of rice, some green vegetables, you know, a good pair of shoes, buy a gym membership and get the fuck on with it. And I mean, literally, you'll probably exceed every expectation you have with nothing more than that. You know, literally nothing more than that. No Dianabol, no Trimbalone, no, no growth hormone, crazy peptides, no nothing. Just fucking eat the meat, eat the rice, you know, put on the shoes, do the deadlifts. Shit's going to happen. Magic's going to happen. It really is. And then depending on how much you enjoy the magic then it's time to talk to people like me and some others and get the little shit that will make the little differences. But the little differences protracted over a career will separate you from everyone else. But don't spend your time and, God forbid, don't spend your fucking money until you really know that's what you need. That's where your money is best spent. So I I really agree with that and I appreciate you saying so. Uh, Being Super Bowl Sunday, what's on the menu? 10 pounds of meat? Absolutely not. Uh, I am going to have white rice and uh, Chinese dumplings. I'm splurging a little bit. I actually have them uh, prepared and ready. So I'm going to eat about 100 dumplings and about a pound of rice uh, and probably a gallon of iced tea. So It's literally, I'm not exaggerating. That's what's going to happen. So... <laughs> Uh, Jonas Schwartz is asking me about uh, the IGF-1 90 minutes uh, post-HGH. Um, Jonas, I'm working on an outline to do a follow-up video of my own. You're referencing the uh, the enhanced athlete. Uh, it's complicated, and I want to go into it here because I really only want to go about another 10 minutes, and it's a minimum 20-minute fucking thing. But the reality is, yes, that is a real, real thing. I'm really, really excited about it. Talking about the 1%, I think that's a fucking 1. I think that might even be a 2%. Um, the timing, the hierarchy, and chain of events associated with getting IGF-1 to be really effective all begins with that initial bolus minor, but bolus of growth hormone, and then the cascade um, so, I am very, very excited about it. I'm working on that in the background. And when I have it ready, uh, I will do a video. And, you know, if you want to send me, especially because you're one of my uh, uh, favorite few that kind of follows everything I do, send me some thoughts and emails and questions and stuff, and we'll talk about it because it is interesting to me and it's really uh, hot in my mind right now. Uh, Gary Burball. It's a cool name. Kind of makes me think of you know Trinaball or something. That's uh, if that's really your name, it's actually cool. Uh, his remark is simply yes. So fuck yeah. Whatever whatever is yes is fucking yes. Um, Kyle, before you go, love these. Keep them up. Learning a lot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're stalking my material online. That's okay, dude. You were, you, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this out loud. Um, you were a paid client. You get privileges. You could you could fucking stalk away, buddy. Send me fucking eight mail if you want to. I don't care. Uh, let's see. Jonas says, cool, looking forward to it. Yes, it is cool, and I, too, am looking forward to it. I really want to refine my ideas on this. And more importantly, I want to get people around the globe doing it, and I want to get feedback. Because a good idea is only a good idea. I need good application and feedback about that application. So I will also tap you as a resource to promote it as something that we should all do and try and talk about. Because key, science. Um, Yes, you need really smart people thinking about shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what you really need is dialogue. I say something, you think about it. You ask questions or say something back. There's a transmission of information. Religion is just some guy in a big fucking hat telling you the way fucking God said it was. Science is somebody saying, hey, this is what I think. What do you think? And then there's a transmission of information. Big fucking difference, okay? No big hat, okay? It's important. I am not the representative of God. I'm just doing the best to figure this shit out, telling you what I think, and hoping you'll tell me something in response, and we can inch forward closer to something that's actually you know valid and truthful. Uh, what's your take on use of uh, uh, insulin with and or without GH? Um, I mentioned this in the last question and answer, and I really do need to get moving before too long. But I'll I'll definitely cover this. Um, there's there's no such thing as exclusivity. Oh, well, you know, growth hormone doesn't work without insulin. That's fucking bullshit. Growth hormone does what growth hormone does. Does it do it better in an insulinogenic environment? Absolutely. Same thing with insulin. Insulin does what fucking insulin does. Everybody walking the streets has a pancreas and it releases insulin and it does some cool shit. No growth hormone required. Now is the synergy of the two and other thyroid synergizes there's other aspects to that but is there a greater synergy of multiple vectors absolutely but every drug works in isolation in a vacuum if it doesn't it's a garbage drug and is thrown away and never pr- presented to the public okay all of these things you know just name a drug you know, fucking Benadryl fucking Lasix fucking Viagra any just name a fucking drug you take it it works is there an environment where maybe you can maximize its effects and get some sort of synergy? Absolutely. But if it didn't work, it wouldn't be sold. It would be fucking illegal for the drug company to make a drug that doesn't work. Like this constant, you know, all oh, the drug companies are just out to make money. Bullshit. They're out to make products that work. That's Those are products that sell. And coincidentally, products that don't get them sued. Yeah, that's important too. People forget that one. Drug companies are some of the most litigious, to, you know, companies on the planet. So, uh, yes, drugs, in all of those drugs work independently. Now, would I typically suggest you do one or the other? Probably not, simply because the synergy is so beneficial. But, yes, uh, in tra- actually, by the way, in track and field, insulin is also often used in isolation to generate you know, supercompensation of gluca- uh, glycogen stores, that sort of thing. So, there again, there's an environment where everything's, the correct answer but in general for bodybuilding power to think strength training at large the synergy is probably the way to go but yes each one of these things does what they do independently they, they have to uh, uh, perfect answer as always we'll check old q a um yeah definitely go back and I, I mean i don't know if it was a perfect answer but thank you for that but i'm far from perfect but Yeah, definitely go back and listen to the old question-answers. I I really have a good crowd, a good core group, and they uh, definitely ask good questions. I go out of my way to try and answer them well. So you'll find a lot of things that probably are bubbling around in your head in those. So probably not a bad way to spend an hour. Uh, Maria, there you are. Uh, I saw, I did not, I'm looking for the Instagram picture of the shirt. You know, no advertising. Get a free shirt, and I don't even get any free advertising. (sighs) Ah... bad anyway uh please tell me anything about aas with women i actually almost read that and thought it said ass, and i was like i fuck. that's right up. that's my area that's i'm bob fucking in there what about it <laughs> probably shouldn't admit that out loud but that is what i read um maria i am not trying to deflect but one we're really late into this uh we're into the Coming up on an hour and a half into my hour-long question and answer, and uh, Lyle McDonald and I are working on an outline for a women's performance-enhancing drug. Podcast, so I am going to defer to that. Uh, it is coming; it really will happen, much like Lyle's women's book. Um, it really will happen, but it probably won't happen as quick as everybody wants it to. But it, it definitely, definitely will, and we will definitely uh, talk about that and uh, all of the things that are in your head, including that kind of balance between you know risk taking and efficacy. Uh, that's going to be a big focus of the conversation. Uh, and maybe some methods on how to ferret out where you want to be on the risk factor scale, so definitely something we will talk about um, and definitely something that you know i 'm more than comfortable and capable of talking to you know my paid clients about uh, I really especially with women, I really really, really like to hammer the potential risks, even though I do think in large in general comparable to the pantheon of drugs. Um, you know, anabolic steroids are pretty low. There are consequences and I do feel it very important that you understand them, you and anyone else considering it. Uh, so, let's see here. Uh, oh, Marie is telling me that both on Facebook and Instagram there's now uh, free advertising of my very nice Evil Genius shirts. So, thank you for that and I apologize that I didn't know that. I'm sorry, I'm just not up to date. Um, with that, we're up about the 90 minute range so i am going to sign off a little less time than i normally do but it is super bowl sunday i do have a really big pot of rice to cook um i may even have a house guest it's kind of weird but um i look forward to seeing everyone back uh one month from now on the first sunday of next month uh, and, uh, oh, it's a little shameless plug. If anyone out there at this absurd hour is listening in Australia, do know that I will be coming to town or to your continent, I guess, country and continent uh, in April. So if there's even the slightest interest of you picking up a ticket, you should do so early. Uh, website is uh, Evil Genius Down Under. Pretty clever little website. Can vend the tickets, see some outline of the material, all that goodness, and um, somebody's telling me they're looking forward to my visit to Sydney. Uh, I'm super looking forward to coming. Uh, I've really been kind of low key about it because, quite honestly, I've been a bit overwhelmed by the magnitude of this thing. I. If you haven't noticed, I'm kind of a tense motherfucker. And the idea of squeezing my ass into an airplane for, I don't know, what does it take, like nine days or something to get there? I'm um, really stressed on that. And plus, I'm trying to put together really good information. I'm really spending a lot of energy on preparing myself to put on the best possible show, if you will. So uh, it, is, it is a big fucking deal. And I am excited. And I do hope that I see you. Uh, Liam I think it is that said that I'm really excited and uh, just say this not that you wouldn't or not that you shouldn't but um, make it a fucking point to walk up to me and say I'm the guy that you talk to and you know shake my hand and you know whatever fucking kick me in the dick whatever you know whatever kind of exchange we need um, I really feel it important to make a, an actual connection so anyway with that we're at about the 90 minute mark so I am going to sign off uh, kind of my official Catchphrase for closing is, until next time, stay strong. Thank you for listening to Sports Performance Radio.